0: Well, it's a joy uh, to continue reading uh, God's Word and going through this story with you. If you were here last week, you uh, will have seen that um, it was a story of a woman who suffered terribly because of the sexual sins of another man, and today we're seeing a man suffering terribly because of the sexual sins of a woman. Uh, So if you're tempted to think uh, that only the men can identify with only Joseph and the women only with uh, Potiphar, you would be wrong because we see that uh, it's an equal opportunity sin in both of these uh, stories. And uh, I want to begin by telling you the story of Uh, A famous professor, he was um, uh, Dr. Benjamin Warfield, he was a seminary professor at at Princeton Seminary, which was quite a prestigious, and still is quite a prestigious uh, seminary. Uh, And right while he was at the height of his academic career, his wife got sick. Um, so sick that she became an invalid, and he took care of her for the rest of her life, which was 10 years. And during that 10-year period, he never spent more than two hours away from his wife. Uh, Even though she was handicapped, she still loved to read, and so he would sit at her bedside day after day and he would read her favourite stories to her. He was gentle, he was loving, he was kind, and most of all, he was faithful Uh, One day, someone asked Dr. Benjamin, uh, have you ever thought about taking your wife to a a care home? Uh, Then you'd be able to write even more books and have an even bigger ministry. But Dr. Warfield said, no way. My wife is my ministry. I'll never leave her side. I'm going to love her and take care of her as long as God grants us life. Well, I want you to see in our story today that that's how the Lord Jesus and that's how God feels about us. Uh, He's not going to get bored and walk away. Uh, He's not going to move on like your yesterday's news. And when you're in your darkest moment, he's not going to leave you. He'll always be there with you by your side. You know, one of the most striking things I find in the passage that we're looking at this morning, and I hope you'll have it in front of you, is this repeated phrase over and over and over again throughout the passage. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph. In every high and in every low, verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph. And you know the thing that's so striking about that in this passage is that the Lord barely gets a mention in the entire story of the life of Joseph. He barely gets a mention. You have a look at it. And yet over and over again in his darkest hour, in his most despairing moments in chapter 39, this is the darkest chapter of his entire life, When he's most tempted to think that God has abandoned him, that God is with him, that nothing good could come of this, what does it say again and again and again? The Lord was with Joseph. And so I want you to see right up front the faithfulness of God to Joseph in his darkest hour. And yet what we're going to look at is how that provides a foundation for the faithfulness of Joseph... To God. And that's what we're going to look at. I want you to see as we go throughout the story uh, that he was faithful when he was at work, verses 1 to 6, that's what we're going to see. And that Joseph was faithful when he was tempted, that's verses 6 to 18. And you know what? The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And what we're going to see this morning is a beautiful picture of what faithfulness looks like. That fruit of the Spirit. And my prayer and my hope for you is that God, by his Spirit, will grow the fruit of faithfulness in you as you see the faithfulness of God to Joseph and the faithfulness of Joseph to God. And so let's start by looking in verses 1 to 6, that Joseph was faithful when he was at work. Remember, he's been betrayed by his brothers, he's been sold as a slave, and then he's been carried a long, long, long way away down to Egypt, and he's been sold to a guy called Potiphar, And even though he's a long, long way away from home, we see that nothing can separate him from the presence of God because the Lord was with him. And even though his brothers have taken away his coat of many colours representing the favour of his father and the favour of God upon him, we see that they were not able to take away the favour of God that was upon him because verse 2, it says, because the Lord was with him, he became a very successful man. And verse 3, the Lord caused all that he did to prosper. What I want you to notice throughout this story is this this incredible multiple promotions that he experienced while in the house of Potiphar. So it would be safe to assume that the place of a newly bought slave in a household would be right at the bottom of the pecking order, right? That's where the interns, that's where the newbies start. And, And that, for Joseph, would have been out in the fields, out in the hot sun, but we see very quickly, as he's faithful in that work, verse 2, second half, he was in the house. He got brought into the house. And then after doing such a good job in Potiphar's house, verse 4, Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and he attended him. And so now he's the personal attendant for this great man, Potiphar. He's promoted to be his personal assistant and he does such a good job of being the personal assistant to Potiphar that he actually gets promoted again in verse four, he made him the overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And then he does a good, such a good job of being the overseer of the house that it says in verse six, so Potiphar left all that he had in Joseph's charge and with him there he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Promotion after promotion after promotion, he was successful. And the reason he was successful was what? The Lord was with him in his work, giving him his success. And so it is for us, any success that we experience is a gift of God's grace to us because the Lord is with us. But I just want to stop and think for a little bit about what he had to learn and how he might have had to apply himself throughout this process. Because firstly, if you think about it, he would have had to have learned a foreign language. He's down in Egypt. Now, how many of you have had to learn a foreign language? That is not an easy thing. And yet he's learned it diligently. Then he would have had to have been good with his hands, working out in the fields, sowing and reaping and and harvesting. He would have had to be skilled with his hands. When he was brought into the house, then he would have had to have learned management skills and good people skills and and leadership skills. And then no no doubt finally, by the time where he's promoted so high, he would have had to have been good at accounting and managing the the ins and the outs of of the household and communication and, and leadership skills. So he applied himself very diligently to his work. And so I think this is telling us something very important today. And that is that God is very interested in how you do your work. It matters to God. And so it matters to you. It should matter to you how you do your work. It's very clear that Joseph did his work very well. He was diligent, he was hardworking, he was reliable, dependable, he was honest, he was focused. There must have been a pleasantness about his demeanor and his nature for Potiphar to want to have him around in the house and as his personal assistant. So there was a pleasantness about him. Uh, He must have been doing work of such a high quality that Potiphar wanted to promote him so that he could get more high quality work done. And so the Lord Jesus says that he who is faithful in a little or she who is faithful in a little will be entrusted with a lot. And that's what we see in the story of Joseph here. Now, this is all the more remarkable when you think about what he's been through. This is the lowest point in his life. He's been betrayed. He's been sold. He's been given these great and wonderful dreams. And yet now he's down at the bottom. And you must must think that he was beginning to think to himself while out in the fields, what in the world has this got to do with God's great purposes for my life? And when he's brought into the house, surely he must have thought while he's sitting at his desk or whatever they did back then, what on earth am I doing here? What on earth has this got to do with God's great plan for my life? And the answer is that it's got everything to do with God's great plan for his life. You see, one day he's going to be prime minister. And so God is preparing him. He can't see it. He can't know. He's got no idea. And yet God is preparing him through this to become the prime minister of Egypt. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, Obey your human masters with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of heart as you would Christ. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. And isn't that what we're seeing here with Joseph as he serves in Potiphar's house? And surely because of that attitude, that is why he was promoted so high and so quickly in Potiphar's house. But I want you to notice something else. And that is that he had the favor of God long before he had the favor of Potiphar. Can you see that in the story? That the Lord was with him and God's favor was upon him long before he had the favor of Potiphar. Now, You say, why is that so important? It's important because the favor of God is not something that you earn. The favor of God is a gift of God's grace to you, and it doesn't depend on the quality of your work. God's favor is with him before Potiphar's favor is with him. And so if you belong to God like Joseph did, you're always working from God's favor and you're not working for God's favor. Can you see that? You're working from a place of blessing and you're not working for a place of blessing. God's favor comes before Potiphar's favor. And this is If you take this to heart, it's truly revolutionary for your work. Because if I'm already loved, if I'm already blessed, if I'm already accepted, if I'm already highly honored and favored, then my work is no longer about me because I've got nothing left to prove and no neediness. My work can now be all about you. Can you see that? You see, I don't need anything from you because I've got everything that I need in Christ. So this work isn't for me. This work is for you. I've already got the favour. I don't need to work for it. What a revolution that brings to our work, where we can truly then, as we say in our liturgy, offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable and pleasing to him, because we're already blessed and favoured. So firstly, we've seen how Joseph was faithful to God with his work, but then trouble comes in verse 6. Joseph was handsome and good-looking, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. And so now let's see how Joseph was faithful when he was tempted. I think there are a number of ways in which this story highlights how and when we're more vulnerable to temptation in lots of different ways. But one of the ways in which, or seasons and periods in which we're more vulnerable to temptation is when we've worked hard and we've been successful. That's Joseph. He's worked hard and he's been successful so, it's been a busy season. You've been working every day, every night, maybe even weekends. You've been overworked and you're feeling underappreciated. And now, finally, you have a chance to relax. The devil knows exactly what your temptation is, your particular temptations are. And so, he puts them on a hook to get you and dangles it in front of you until you take the bait. Maybe you're like um, the sneaky rats in our backyard and in our garden that think they can sort of take a little nibble of the bait without actually getting caught. But when you do, you find that the devil has been at this for a very long time. And so he's been able to master the art of temptation and he's been able to master the art of trapping people. And we don't give him enough credit for being able to tempt us and to trap us. And so we see in this story that you're more vulnerable to temptation when you've worked hard and you've been successful. But I also want you to see that you're more vulnerable to temptation when you're away from home. Joseph is a long, long way away from home in Egypt. And last week we saw that it was while Judah was on a working trip away from home that he slept with a prostitute. So you're more vulnerable to temptation when you move away from your home. Maybe we kind of think that there's something about being away from home that makes us think that the same rules that apply at home, somehow they don't. Apply to us while we're away from home. We can sort of think that there's one set of rules for us while we're at work, and then we can have another set of rules while we're away. Maybe uh, the change is a little bit disorienting and so we're more open to temptation. Maybe there's opportunity while we're away that doesn't exist while we're at home. And so the Lord Jesus says to his disciples and to us this morning in Matthew chapter 26 verse 41, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. And so maybe you're being reminded this morning that you need to be more watchful. You need to be more prayerful, that you may not be entered into temptation. And that's what the Lord Jesus says to his disciples. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You know, Colin Smith, who I've been um, stealing a lot from for this series, he he was able to identify seven vulnerabilities in Joseph's situation uh, and how he was more vulnerable to temptation because he was young and single He was good-looking, verse 6. He'd been working hard and he'd been successful. He's got the opportunity to sin with Potiphar's wife in the house. He's a long way from home. He's got no one to keep him accountable while he's a long way from home. And then the temptation, we're told, is relentless, verse 10. She spoke to Joseph day after day. And so when you realize that any one of these vulnerabilities would be enough for us to take the bait, it becomes truly amazing that you mount all of these seven up at the same time. You begin to sense the cumulative pressure that was on Joseph to give in to temptation and therefore how astonishing it is that he's able to resist. And surely it leads us to ask, how? How did he do it? How was he able to resist temptation how can you stand strong against temptation we're going to look at two parts to this because there's the issue of motives and then there's the issue of strategies and i want you to want you to notice one or two of his strategies because in verse 10 it says he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her In other words, he gave her a wide berth. He wouldn't let himself go anywhere near the temptation if he could help avoiding her. And I think there's a very clear application for us, isn't there? Whether your temptation is alcohol or gambling or pornography or a particular person, give it a very wide berth. Sometimes we like to play the game of how close can we get to the fire without being burned. But that's not Joseph. He's giving her a very wide berth to stay far, far away, as far as he possibly can. But even then, in verse 12, it says... She caught hold of his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled, and he ran outside. And so not only do we see that he had clear boundaries, but you can see that he was willing to make a costly commitment. Not for the first time would his robe be ripped away from him, and not for the first time would his robe be used deceitfully against him the first time with his wicked brothers and his coat of many colours and now this time with his robe and this woman who would bring this false accusation against him. But he's making a costly commitment. He's had plenty of time to realise that this woman is interested in him. He's had time to prepare. He's had time to decide in his head what it is that he might do in the time of temptation. And he hasn't kept an open mind to temptation coming to us. Oh, maybe, maybe not. No, he's made a clear commitment to what he will do when the time comes. And he's been decisive about it beforehand. But you see, he makes a costly commitment because he says to himself, it would be better that I lose my robe. It would be better that I lose my job. It would be better that I lose my hopes and my dreams than that I sin against God. And so he makes a costly commitment to his integrity and to his purity and just how costly it was. You know what the Lord Jesus says about temptation, don't you? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Make a costly commitment. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And how much did Joseph throw away that he would maintain his purity and his integrity? It was a he had clear boundaries and he made a costly commitment. Well, at this point you might be saying to yourself, Well, Kieran, I don't so much need help with knowing what to do or what the strategies are. What I need help with is finding the motivation and the power and the strength to actually do it. And so there's two things I want you to notice about his motivations The first thing I want you to notice in the story is that faithfulness will not be easy. It wasn't for Joseph and it won't be for us. Because what came as a result of his faithfulness and his integrity in this situation? He was falsely accused and he was put in prison. You see, if you make a commitment to sexual integrity and to sexual purity, especially if you're a young person in our culture today, you're going to come under all kinds of pressure. You're going to come under all kinds of persecution for maintaining faithfulness in the area of sexual purity and sexual integrity. And so you need to know beforehand that it won't. Be easy. Faithfulness to God will not be easy. And so, the son of encouragement, Barnabas, that means son of encouragement, in Acts chapter 14, verse 12, gives some very interesting encouragement to the disciples. Do you know what his encouragement is? He says, We must go through many hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. And don't we see that with Joseph? Many hardships to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I said I was going to uh, motivate you and encourage you, and you're probably thinking there, oh, thanks, Kieran, that's very motivating and very encouraging. But you do need to know beforehand that it will be costly. But the other thing I want you to see is that it'll definitely be worth it. Because there is an astonishing chain of events that is kicked off in this story by the faithfulness of Joseph in this very situation. Because it was through the faithfulness of Joseph, right, that he ended up in prison. And it was through being in prison that he met Pharaoh's cupbearer. Can you remember that? And then it was through the cupbearer that he was introduced to Joseph uh, to Pharaoh, sorry. And it was through Pharaoh that he became the prime minister of Egypt who provided food for the whole country, and it was through his food program that the life of Judah and Joseph's brothers were spared and rescued in a time of famine because they came to be fed. And so Judah was saved through the food program, and so therefore it was through the life of Judah that that... that the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ the Messiah, was born into the world and it is through Jesus Christ the Messiah that a great company of people from every tribe and every tongue will be gathered around together with great joy around Almighty God. I hope you can see that connection. And so Joseph, under temptation, under pressure, could not have possibly imagined the good that would come of his faithfulness. He could not have possibly imagined the ripple effects of his faithfulness to God in that moment when under temptation And so here you are struggling desperately with some kind of temptation and you're struggling to find the motivation to stay faithful and you're finding it extremely intense. What will be the effect of your remaining faithful to God in that moment? What will be the effect upon your marriage? What will be the effect on your family? And your children, what will be the effect on your children's children? What will be the effect on your friends and your church community by remaining faithful? It is beyond what you could possibly imagine, just as it was for Joseph. He couldn't have imagined. But maybe you can imagine what it looks like to throw a stone into a lake on a still morning. As the sun shines on the lake and it's like a sea of glass. And as you throw that stone into the lake, you're astonished to see those ripples peeling out over and over, further and further, wider and wider. And so it is, and so it will be with our faithfulness to God in our moments of temptation. It's beyond what we could imagine. But of course, this story of the faithful son, Joseph, points us to the true and better Joseph, the faithful son, whose obedience and faithfulness cost him far more intensely, but whose obedience and faithfulness reaped a much greater reward for us, the salvation of the world. And so I want to finish by noting that Jesus came to forgive our sins of the past and to give us strength for future temptation that's what he came for. He came to forgive us of our sins past and to give us strength for temptations for the future. And so surely there are people here this morning who are feeling swamped, who are feeling overwhelmed both by their past sins, but also by the temptations of the future, which is why we need the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, forgiveness for the past, and strength for the future. And the good news this morning is that's exactly what Jesus, the faithful son, came to do. I want you to see that Genesis 38 comes before Genesis 39 and I want to show you how that is so very, very important because Genesis 38 is all about Judah's moral failure where he did tremendous wickedness and sexual sin that brought shame upon himself and shame upon his family and shame upon his whole community. That's Genesis 38. And you might be here thinking this morning, I'm much more like Judah then I am like Joseph. But friends, that's why Genesis 39 comes after Genesis 38. You see, we have chapter 39 because of the reality of chapter 38. And so why is Joseph in the Bible? It's not to say just go and do likewise. No, it's to point us to Jesus, the true and better Joseph, the faithful son. That's what we've been saying through this entire series. How encouraging it is for us who feel that we're more like Judah to see a son who is different, to see a son who is not like us, to see a son who is faithful. You see, Jesus stood where everyone else failed. It says in the Bible that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet without sin. He's the son who is different. He's the son who is faithful. A.W. Pink points out that the difference between Joseph and Jesus is that Joseph fled from the temptation. But when Jesus was tempted by the devil, the devil fled away from him. He's our strong man and hero, the faithful son who is different. And then, of course, at the end of his life, he was nailed to the cross. An obedience that cost him dearly. A faithfulness that cost him dearly. And he was Nailed there for our sins, including our sexual sins of the mind and our sexual sins of the body. And then he buried them in the grave, never to come back, deeper than the ocean, buried once and for all. And then he rose with newness and fullness of life. And he reaches out to you this morning and to all who would come to him and be able to confess to him their need for him to give grace and mercy In your time of need. The faithful son who is different. And so let's come to him now in prayer. I want to give you a few moments of silence to come before the faithful son. Faithful with his work. Faithful when tempted. Spend a moment in silent prayer with him now.